Hi, I'm Portia and I'm a journalist. And what that really means is that I'm a high performing informationaholic warrior. <laughs> uh, how much does the worrying play into the journalism play into the worrying? Do you think you're a warrior and that's why you're a journalist or you're a journalist and that makes you worry? So I think it was probably ingrained in my DNA. And I really think I, when I talk to other journalists, I hear that as a thread because honestly, we have to, our job is to take information and really suss it out and be that skeptical person. And so we're always asking ourselves questions and we're never afraid to ask ourselves if we're, the, we're collecting the right information and talk to the right people. And I think that's an essential skill for this job set. Now, I don't think you have to be a journalist because you're a warrior, but I think that anxiety is is what um, I think it's a driver. Can you tell me how it might manifest when you think about into your last six months or last year of work or maybe just this week so far or today? How does that anxiety manifest in the work you do? in either managing or interviewing or writing, or does it come up in all of them? Oh, I think it's everywhere. And I think uh, the minute that we stop questioning, and really when I, when I talk about anxiety, I think there are levels of anxiety. Everything should have a second look, right? That's a base level. And uh, as a journalist, as journalists, we're so often rewarded from that second guessing ourselves and asking that one more person or digging for that one more fact. And so it's it really, I'm thinking about in the last week, I, I probably had four conversations yesterday with team members who needed that second gut check. And uh, that's the mo one of the most rewarding things is to be able to, somebody's anxious about, should I use this source? Is this information correct? Uh, how do we need to think about how this is going to impact the rest of our audience? What 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 am I what is how much is what I'm doing right here going to impact my peers and how how they're going to be able to cover this uh, and and things are a lot more complicated right now with uh, COVID frankly because we're a team that have really been collaboratively working together for a while but there's a lot more crossover in everything we do so pausing in the chaos of coverage is is pretty essential. Does that mean it's not just, so when you talk about a second set of eyes, does that mean if you're working collaboratively, either the second set of eyes is delegated or there are, it's necessary that not just a editor and a writer are rolling the story around, but also that there are multiple people who also have to have input in everything? That's totally right. And I think we have tried to be proactive about it. Let's have the conversation from the onset in a smart way. Um, Sometimes, sometimes it's breaking news and we have to jump on a call at nine o'clock at night and that's just the way it is. Uh, but from that, you know, I, I was on a call a few weeks ago where we're all, you know, we start texting and we see this, this potential story popping up and, and we know it can't really wait till tomorrow. So, you know, jump on a Zoom, have a conversation there, figure out who's going to be on radio, who's going to be on broadcast, how can we can multi-release that article at the same time. And I think the benefit out of it is the more that we practice those mus muscles of collaboration uh, the anxiety of like, I'm sitting here with this story and I need to have that conversation with another person. I need to gut check. And uh, I think it's been really, it, it builds out our trust in each other and it, we, we become better collaborators each time we do it. 
what so having having seen everyone's eyes are different some people it can feel down granular and over time sort of a micromanaging mm-hmm. second set of eyes and i think what you're talking about is where you learn to trust the people you around that they'll catch something but they're not sort of micromanaging you where is the line if you put a bunch of anxious people in a room and you tell them to do something really important the chances are good that they're going to they might overcompensate on that second set of eyes so where how do you build trust without having the other thing of like we're it's just driving everyone crazy, the details and the obsessing and the second guessing. Where's the line? Right. <laughs> it, um, so the line moves, right? <laughs> <laughs> and at different times, we're all open to different things. But I mean, so we, we're, I'm going to be completely transparent. We've been really smart and done some leadership training to make sure that we communicate really well. Um, we uh, we have regular we have we have at least one touch point a day where everybody comes into a room and says. We start the week really there. Like we have a daily touch point, but at the beginning of the week, we ask ourselves as a whole content team, what is going to be the most important story of this week and how can we work together? And what are the things we haven't covered so far? What are we going to experiment with? And <laughs> yeah, have you ever seen uh, like the second Batman movie, um, Dark Knight? Okay, like the second Christian Bale movie. Exactly. Okay. In Dark in Dark Knight, Joker, the Joker has that whole plan where he's going to blow up, you know, one of the two, the two boats have these little controllers where they're going to explode the other boat to save themselves. Okay. And, <laughs> and uh, he says something like, nobody's scared if there's a plan. It doesn't even matter if the plan is bad. It's just you have to have a plan. And there is something soothing in having a plan. Now, I don't think we ever have a bad plan. We might always, you might need to work toward having the best plan, but it's just as a relief at the beginning of the week to have a plan. And the plan changes; it's dynamic, but you know, <laughs> there's comfort in that. Uh, so Mention comfort. Um, I know. So I, 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 I think we have, I think we have different personalities, but I think we both wrestle with some level of anxiety, and I think we manifest mm-hmm. it different ways, and it leads to different things. I'm wondering how your anxiety feels and how you manage that. So what is what is anxiety over the job or overall holistically across your life when it's out of control? What does that feel like? And then what does it feel like when that anxiety is always kind of there, but then you kind of put it to use and it has good use. And then then the anxiety doesn't feel too bad. What's what are the differences between those two things? Right. So, you know, some you can control it to some level, right, with basics. So this is my dad is a mental health professional. So all the time he's in my head, like for years, he's been trying to help me like do biofeedback, do yoga, all these things. But for me, it's mental chatter. It's my mind uh, doesn't rest. I, I remember when I first met my husband, I would, I would look over at him and say, what are you thinking about? And he'd say nothing. <laughs> like, that cannot be possible. Your mind cannot be that still. That's, so, uh, so for me, it's it's like even if I am at rest and that can be a dead sleep, I can wake up and I have a conversation in my head going on with voices that are happening in the background. Uh, in fact, <laughs> he told me the other day, we really need to give your your anxiety a name. So your anxiety is now named Geraldine. Wait, so. did you say Geraldine? Geraldine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Did that actually do something? Did it help to name the thing? <laughs> I don't know. It, it made me laugh, so there was that. 
Uh, why do you think you've, when, when you've sort of lived with this for a while and you've watched other people maybe in, in the career you've chosen in journalism and you've seen that same kind of anxiety or worry put to use, but also, so why, why do you think it's there? Where do you think it comes from? I think as a journalist, your goal is to be right 100% of the time. Whether that's what you're covering or what, um, or how you're covering it. And you just don't allow yourself anything but 100%. Anything less is, is, um, failure. So I think that's constantly the goal. And, and I see people working very hard to, to, to meet that goal. Is it a, is, is 100% all the time forever a reasonable expectation? We can debate that, but that's, that's really the mindset of, of, a journalist, I think. Does really everybody you work with, do all the people have that, do all the people have that mindset that, because it sounds like having the hundred percent, so knowing you can't reach that. So for some people, an, a, a goal they're always reaching for that they can never reach is okay. And for other people that can become painful. Do you have, are there people you work with in your small circle or your larger circle that don't have that same kind of intense perfectionism? I don't know. I see... <laughs> I see a lot of intent. Wait, I'm on the phone right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is the the advantage of COVID, right? <laughs> it is the joy of having the children around all the time, and sometimes it's a joy, and sometimes you know it's you know less of a joy. Well, she, I, I will tell you today. My husband and I got up and we took the dog for a walk, and as we were walking along, we had the conversation of I think we remember last year the reporter who had his toddler son come in on him while he was doing a video chat. Oh, I remember that. And my answer to that was, "That's all of us now." <laughs> yes. We are all there. So, and I've seen that so many times in the last few weeks, and and that's another. I mean, that is actually another area where we tend to try to be perfectionists. Is like, I, I'm. I'm going to be a perfect mom and I'm going to be a perfect teacher now. Right. And I'm going to be a perfect, uh, you know, worker and friend and all of the things that, that we expect we should be able to do. And that's not realistic. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing, for instance, you mentioned being a reporter where you want to be 100% right. You want to spend all the time to go down every path to make sure that you, this is a complete story and you've covered all the angles to help the reader. But then if you take that and you lay it into every arena of, okay, I'm going to add that to my exercise and uh, mental wellness. And I'm going to add that to my relationship with my romantic partner. And I'm going to add that to my uh, being my kid's parent. And now I need to also be my kid's teacher and taskmaster. <laughs> you used to only have to do that for the extracurriculars, but now I have to do that for the curriculars too. Maintaining that level, are there, when you look out at the arena of your life and you think about all those roles you have to perform, are they all at different levels of perfectionism or does the perfectionism and the anxiety kind of enter in its own way into every part of that? So I think, I think you do have to let yourself ebb and flow in some places at some times, but I'm going to be weird about this and say, <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't think my anxiety is always a bad thing. I mean, I, so the reason that I have uh, sort of embraced that this is, this is part of me. Like I'm not my mind, but my, but um you know, I'm not my mind, I'm not my body, but I am, but I do uh, own the, the mental chatter. It, it, I get rewards there all the time, right? Yes. 
<laughs> so, uh, you know, that second guess, that that questioning, uh, it, it pays off. But I also think if it is managed, it's not really, for, for I would say, especially when we're not in this place of kind of pandemic craziness. Yeah. Uh, there, there, I've, I've learned a lot of strategies that make it, you know, I can, I can turn off in many ways when I need to. Now what? that's a, sometimes that's a slope instead of like, it's not an on off switch, but I have a pass. Oh, in other words, you, there's a way you can start a process that will slowly ramp you down for a period of time. Right. Okay. Right. <laughs> but right. It's not a complete switch, obviously. So you, you slowly come off your anxious focused high into some other mental state. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And it really starts with the stories that we tell ourselves. And I, this was a big re- revelation to me. If, I don't remember how long ago, maybe in the last two years, I, I realized <laughs> this is again, maybe because I'm a journalist, but it's like, I tell myself stories all the time. That's how I process stuff. I like anything I have done in my life. I've told myself a story about it, yeah. probably multiple stories. And I decided I'm going to stop telling myself the negative story. When I finish something, I mean, it's fine. Maybe up on the upfront, like be, be pessimistic and think that somebody's maybe not telling you the truth. In the end, when it's finished, you publish the thing and you moved on and you don't have feedback in the in-between time. Why assume that it was broken or wrong when you could make the choice to say that's that was a success? Now, feedback will ultimately tell you how you did. But in the in-between, don't live in misery until somebody says good job. How much is that good job to you in the whole arc of when you start something and you're in the middle of something and you finally finish something and sort of, you know, put your hands, shake your hands. What do you call that thing where you put your hands together and wipe them off like you're done? (laughs) Well, it's funny you should say that because when I was in second grade, this is a complete side note. In second grade, (laughs) I always know I I must have already been a warrior, but my, my habit was rubbing my hands together. And, and was it ever, was it up in was it like the around like washing your hand or was that thing like the evil villain does where they like rub their hands together like oh, it, up and it maybe was a little more evil villain it was back <laughs> and it, was, it was to the to the fingers to the palm and back again right okay and I didn't realize I was doing it so um I, in second grade I was known as the girl who rubs her hands together why don't you stop doing that I was like didn't realize I was doing it and and so <laughs> I had to stop and break that habit. So, um, but how do I dust my hands off and say, I think I've gotten a lot better about it. So I, I try to go into things more, but always very intentionally ask myself questions. Ask The big thing I'm doing is asking other people more questions. And that has been a, a very interesting path because um, I don't think we stop. <laughs> I, I'll give you a really good example. I... Okay. I did. Um, I, I helped program an event. I went to the event and um, the person on stage is is presenting and his presentation. I mean, I feel like it's not going great. I, he's a funny guy, but I'm I'm starting to doubt. And and my and, you know, and somebody whose opinion I really value was she, in the back of the room. 
And I'm thinking, she must be thinking this is terrible. And I programmed this and all the time that she should come to these, to this thing that I made. There have been so many highlights and I'm, I'm not confident about what's going on. And <laughs> so I started to tell myself the story and I, I thought, stop. I asked her, she was like, that was great. And I would have, and that would have changed my whole day just by imagining that, that, that was a bomb. And, and I didn't even really have that evidence. I just, you know, I told myself the story. How much, so that, that final thing at the end, if you get outside, if you get outside negative feedback for a thing you worked hard on, or you get outside positive feedback, what do those two things do? So I love this idea. So you start telling, before you get any feedback, you just put the thing out in the world and there was a time maybe, or maybe it's the bad habit, you'll tell yourself negative stories where you don't have the facts yet. Once you get the facts, whether it's someone saying yay or someone saying, ooh, it needs some work, how do those two How do those two paths feel? How does negative feedback feel and how does positive feedback feel? If you've done this thing where I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna wait. So I, I, I don't really like a lot of, so I, everybody enjoys positive feedback, but I don't really, I get a little embarrassed when, when the flattery is really high. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so that, that can make me uncomfortable on that end, especially if I feel like it's been a te- team effort and somebody's sig- signaling me out saying, you are amazing, because I don't think that's the way it should work. The other end of that is, um, I am, I really learned to, and this, this was not, I was not this way probably even four years ago. I cannot, I can't tell you the path it's taken me to get here. I'm getting to the place where I really need the criticism. So I at least know how to, I, I mean, everybody always knows they need criticism. That's why we look at each other's work, but I mean that I'm craving the deeper details and I really, I feel like that's, it's an opportunity if somebody's willing to share that with you. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Doesn't mean it doesn't feel bad. And but if you're really committed to doing something for the long term, that's the only. Uh, that's why people who write books have them read by their beta readers. That's why you know. That's why you have all of these groups that meet. That you know, look at a piece of art and give criticism and all of that feedback is so important and. And if anybody's really willing to take the time and mentor you in that way and say that that didn't work out and that's happened to me, that happens regularly. I, I feel like I'm getting more comfortable with it, but it, it probably is the hardest thing that anybody deals with. But on the other hand, you have to learn to be able to give that feedback too. And that's, that's also hard because I'll have anxiety about having to give feedback. And um, I read something that said, you're just completely unfair if you, choose to not give feedback that's going to help somebody else change in a positive way that they, they are hurting themselves because they don't have that feedback. And that's, that, that haunts me. And that keeps me, you know, I, I don't want you to cry when I give you your feedback. I'm trying to do everything I can to make it comfortable and get, make it safe. But if, if there's a problem, I, I owe it to you to tell you and give that feedback. So I, pre, I it, ultimately I appreciate it. It doesn't mean it doesn't feel Icky in the moment. But there was a time, can I ask, where do you think, because you you had kind of, you talked about kind of things that happened the last two years, things that happened the last four years. If somebody was thinking in their head, oh man, I wrestle with this feedback. <clears throat> are there things that either you purposefully worked on 
or sort of generally experiences you had that helped you come to this new feeling and not be so afraid of giving negative feedback and not be so afraid of getting the negative feedback on something you worked so hard on? Is there some change that happened? Can you look at a thing and say, that was the thing? Um, I think if I had to, to put it within some parameters, it was I made an intentional step towards just immersively reading about, you know, leadership topics and communication and team building and um and just this whole like and and my my book list changes all the time I have probably a stack of 50 books that I ordered in the, in the <laughs> quarantine period that I, but but they're very topics but then always when I need them I can pull that back out so uh, you know stuff like crucial conversations and and managing change and all of those pieces at some point, just enough readings made it start to gel for me in a way that, and then just experience uh, practicing. So when I first started having to have difficult conversations, they yeah. would each be miserable and painful, like just haunting. And I have had periods in the last two or three years where I just had so many crucial conversations. I might be really upset about something on Monday that this dread this conversation I have to have at this point on Friday I don't remember what the conversation was <laughs> and I don't know that the other person who had it with me does either because it's just it's become a natural habit uh, but that was hard that that was not and I also have to respect the people on uh, who are in different parts of that spectrum of of you know this is new to me um, always when I'm looking back at some of my newer team members and co-workers uh, we're, you have to appreciate where everybody is in their career and support them as you were supported. Yeah. Who helps you? So, so, um, who helps you manage this? You have mentioned, you know, you've gotten some tips from your dad, you've read some stuff. Who helps you manage this? If you're a tuned up, if you're like a sports, a journalist sports car, and the sports cars have these engines that just have to be tuned just right or the it breaks. Who helps you keep your anxiety sports car tuned for your job and your life? Who are the people <laughs> around you? Who are the biggest supporters? The team that put the tires on and pull the tires off? I could keep going with this completely stupid analogy, but... <laughs> well, you know, this <laughs> especially works since my name is Portia, right? <laughs> oh, my God, yes, but different you Portia. Won. <laughs> Shakespeare Portia, not the... Uh, not the Car. <laughs> not the sports car portion. Common confusion. Well, <laughs> so, I mean, I'm going to say, first and foremost, I have to make the decision that I am going to commit to, um, you know, and, and so, uh, and that starts with my own personal habits. And then I am open to my amazing boss who, like, will mentor me and gives me her time and attention. My coworkers, I mean, all of this is about we support each other and have all of the conversations and how are you is one of the most important conversations that always, when we start any conversation, that's, that's at the core. I cheat. I do have a leadership coach, so <laughs> <laughs> that helps too. And then I like, you know, I have, I have other habits that I've just developed out. Like, um, well, I, I've always been very committed to like kind of, well, at different points I've been better about practicing it, but, meditation and yoga but during this time I found myself kind of leaning into some of those habits and I'm picking up a few other kind of weird 
strange hobbies, I guess I would say, to to step away because when I'm when I'm here and my office is so easily accessible, it's going to be it could run twenty four seven if if I don't take a minute and take a deep breath. So are you forcing your, I want to hear about those weird things you might be delving into. Do you force yourself to, because you can get lost in the, the sort of joy and the satisfaction of the career or the joy and the satisfaction of helping the people in the house, you could lose whatever time you need for yourself. How do you, how do you build that time? What do you, how do you build that time in and what weird things are you doing to try to do that? So I put myself in the position that I have something that I have to complete, so I can't really get out of it. <laughs> oh, so you set up a, a have to. The only way to make this hobby work is it has to be a have to. A deadline. So um, so the, <laughs> my two weird new hobbies, they're probably more than two, because it seems like I'm all, but I started making wine. Okay. And so I finished my first, um, my first wine about two weeks ago and bottled it. I'm on my second, the first one was a Sauve Blanc, and this one is a Chardonnay. And that has been completely satisfying because it does make, you have to go down and the, the wine does take managing. And it's not something that I would have been able to do outside of quarantine because I would have been moving around too much. I wouldn't have been home enough to take care of it. So it, it doesn't take a lot of time, but it just, it, it gets me to move to a different part of the house uh-huh. <laughs> and think about something that's, completely outside my comfort zone because it's it's new and it um it's weird and you have to get it right or you have just wasted a whole bunch of great juice and a whole lot of time so and and then it also makes me like uh there there are parts of it where it really helps to have two people so it's good because it it builds in a little bit of um time with my husband where he has to help me rack the wine into the the carboy or you know we're doing that kind of weird bottling corking has been really exciting (laughs) wait why do you need to what happens what is the process of moving your fermenting stuff in some container what is the two-person process where you have to move it to the bottle and then cork that thing what's the so it goes back and forth between the the primary fermenting uh and the secondary usually a carboy the big jug that you would imagine and uh there's some siphoning, there's some holding of this stuff. It's also six gallons, so whether or not he's going to help me with any of the other stuff, he has to carry it down the stairs because I can't <laughs> lift it. But uh, it, it is easier to do together just because, uh, you know, you're trying to make sure you don't spill anything, but you pull it back and forth to get rid of the sediment and, and the oak chips and all of that other stuff so that you end up with that clarified liquid that we're used to drinking. Uh, instead of, I guess, Pruno, really. <laughs> Have you imbibed it yet, or is it waiting for its final stage? I have. So we we completed it, um, I'm trying to remember, it, right before Mother's Day, I think. And uh, this last weekend, we <laughs> we ran around the city delivering bottles to, to people with a little Clorox wipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you make, let me ask, have you, did you start off in your first time? Did you jack up a batch or is your, was your first batch drinkable? So my first batch was drinkable, but I will say, um, so my husband has had some experience with beer making and he's had successes and, uh, disasters. So that, that knowledge kind of (laughs) probably saved me. And also, I cheated and started with juice, and so I didn't start with grapes. I started with juice and yeast, and 
and just so that I can really get the basics down. At some time, are you seriously going to go really crazy and do like serious crushing of the raising? I don't know if Kansas, I don't, can we get good grapevines in Kansas? Could you crush your own grapes? Could you do it all in your yard? I think potentially you could, but I couldn't. I mean, we have enough. <laughs> we can't keep the squirrels out of the squirrel feeder or the deer. <laughs> we put up a wildlife camera and there's a deer who just keeps on coming back to, our, to the back of our yard and eating stuff. So I don't think we're ever going to be. <laughs> uh, our, we're very amateur vintners. Yes, your wine grapes, you're right. I see your wine grapes would be gone unless you wanted right. to be vicious and police them with some weird barbed wire or something. <laughs> Right, right. Okay, do you have another weird thing you're doing besides the wine that's that's kind of come up in the past few months of COVID-19 stay at home? Well, I so I had a few years ago started looking into like how to become a yoga instructor. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I just couldn't quite commit to it. There was just enough um, having to give a week, like several weekends to a studio. But during this whole COVID experience, nobody's able to go to a studio. So they've opened up a lot of virtual yoga uh, certifications and I think that whole experience of like oh this is something I've been wanting to do for a while and couldn't really commit to and it it you can you you buy a lifetime <laughs> lesson so you know I can if this takes me five years it, it really doesn't matter because um you know I I've already invested the money and it was something that bucket list right so it's you you pay for this thing where that instructor or the group promises to provide you as much training as you need to get where you need to go. Right. They've actually converted to a completely online curriculum as several several of the Yoga Alliance certified groups. So you have all of the training available online. You do your practice practicum uh, via <laughs> video. Uh, I've already warned the kids that they're going to have to be yoga models and they're. <laughs> oh, because you have to use them. You have to prove you can teach something. Is that right? Exactly. Nice. Yeah. What is there one organization? How did you pick the organization who is going to teach you how to do yoga? I, I did some online research and then frankly, there was one that had a very nice discount code. <laughs> <laughs> It's a hobby, right? <laughs> um, what do I love these things because they sound like they're focused. They take, they sound fun. They're focused. You give yourself a deadline. You manage it. Um, what do people think through the years? What have people thought about the fact that if you've ever described yourself as I'm tightly wound or I'm a perfectionist or I have anxiety, what do other people think about it? Either when they notice these things or when you've been open about them? What did other people think about your anxiety? So my mom, very early on, she described me as driven. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's maybe, that's the sort of the, um, which is, I mean, I don't think it's not true, but I think it's a very interesting encapsulation of that. Uh, you know, that, uh, you know, she's my mom. She wants to think the best of me. And it's like, oh, anxiety sounds I don't, I don't find it to be a bad thing, but it sounds kind of bad. But driven sounds like, and I am, I mean, I like want to win. It's, that The driven is probably anxiety and competition. Yeah. But I also think that's, I don't think you're going to find anybody 
who's competitive who well I, I shouldn't say that but I would be very surprised if anybody who was super competitive didn't have that anxiety because I think it's part of that special sauce yeah do you meet people who don't who aren't driven and yet are successful and then in those cases do you what is what is your oh, yeah. what do you when you look at those personalities what do they look like to you Oh, I think that's totally true. So let me think about that. Um, I'm trying to think through the, like, I'm thinking through the cycle of the, like, people that I really like and respect in life. And I don't think that they would all say that they were anxious, but I, I, I think, I'm trying to decide, I'm thinking about my dad. And yeah. my dad is the most mellow person you'd ever meet. But I do think he is a little anxious sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he's... I mean, he's been somebody who's been very professionally successful and had a career that has been very rewarding. I think he has confidence in what he does. I, I guess I would say success, successful people who are less anxious come to it with a different awareness of I know how to make like I I I I manage my relationships well I manage my life well I am thoughtful in my approach um I am compassionate and I take all of those pieces and put it together all of those things I think everybody aspires to be but their special mix of it I think is is maybe where they're they're calming too because everybody wants to be around them right they they draw people by through that leadership that is peaceful right yeah is that what you do is yours a different leadership or do you look at those people and say i want to be like them so i would say this is my i would say my anxiety probably is a little bit like I took my mom's anxiety and my dad's anxiety and mixed it together to make a special anxiety. <laughs> you moved it back and forth between the like move the fermenting stuff back and forth and made your own special mix and bottled <laughs> it. Mouth, yes, but I think my dad, um, uh, he's a naturally very gentle, peaceful person, and I think outwardly one of one of the things that helps with success. Nobody wants nobody wants to be around somebody who's freaking out all the time, and I, in fact, like I have to remind myself when somebody's freaking out. At a previous point in your career, you might have been the person who was the freaky out. But I don't think I display that outwardly. I think my 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 uh, anxiety all is very internalized. So I think the longer I've I've been at it, I've been able to hide it better. But I mean, when my, I think about my first job interview, I don't think the person ever realized I was anxious, but I was <laughs> I was pretty stressed. So. <laughs> But I do think that's part of leaders, like, like it, the leaders I have admired most, it, you know, something terrible happens, the loss of a huge client or a big mistake in a printed publication or something that usually gives you anxiety. And the response is not, let's all freak out here. It's a very calm, okay, this is what happened. What are the next steps? What do we need to find out to make sure we don't do it again? But no blame. And I think that's really a key component is that the rational thinking, like you can still think even though you're feeling. 
is that I mean, you think in your heads, so if you did away with the negative stories and you're just trying to sort of take things in as they are, how it's it sounds like maybe you've always been composed. How does composed twenty how does composed years ago at your first job interview where they wouldn't have known you're anxious? How is that composure different from the composure you have now? What's going on inside you different? If the people on the outside, in both cases, you just look like composed, passionate, mostly calm Porsche in both cases, what is the difference inside you from then to now? Well, some of it's just age. I mean, my gosh, I, <laughs> I, 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 the, the problem has to be a new anxiety for it to get me that stirred up, right? Okay. So <laughs> I, there would probably be a point in my history where making a folio was so anxious to me, and now it's oh, thank goodness they're going to let me make a folio. I get to make an imposition. I get to figure out how the book goes together or or criticism. I, you know, I remember getting a letter to the editor and, you know, basically calling me out and I just feeling devastated by it. And <laughs> and and now I'm I when we get feedback that's not positive, which you should, yeah. you know, if you're not if you're not getting any feedback that's positive or negative, you haven't moved anybody. I, I look at it differently and I don't tend to get the emotional response that I would have. I, you know, I, there, I have a series, I have a checklist of questions. So I think that really is it. I think it's, it's, I think it's age <laughs> and, uh, and, and the realization that you can look again, it goes back to that story. You can look for the positive or negative in this situation and, and what's really going to be, if, if the story if the negative story isn't any better than the positive story, if it's not going to change your behavior in any way, then maybe it's time to move on and, and think about how you'll do, do it differently next time. Yeah. What advice do you have for people who are driven or anxious but are experiencing some pain points in their life? Um, where, what are good, what, if somebody came and said, I, I'm experienced, I understand, I, I understand exactly what you're talking about. I feel that way, but it's debilitating or it's painful and I get along just fine. I'm high functioning. I get along just fine in my life, but I'm struggling. Has anybody asked that? Or do you just have, what would your advice be to that person? So I would say the, the first and hardest step is just recognizing it. And then don't expect any one thing to be a magic bullet. Like it took me a long time. I, I use this app called headspace for meditation mm -hmm. and i've been on and off headspace for i mean at least five years i look back at the history and it's amazing when i first tried it out i it's it was hard and it and i get frustrated so if you're an anxious person who's always very competitive it's like why can't i meditate better complete <laughs> 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 opposite of what so i would say don't expect that one thing's going to work make a plan work to what works for you ask other people talk about it um, you know, joking about Geraldine with my husband is like a pretty rewarding experience and that, uh, and, and, and him being able to just say, you know what, um, you're doing it, you're overanalyzing, you're worrying. Uh, and then I might respond back, Hey, yeah, but I need to process this. I need you to at least hear me. So whatever that path is, but then also like, um, I mean, I've been to therapy before I, I've, you know, I've done all of those things and I don't. It's not something I think that ever comes with stigma. I think you just have to figure out where you are. There were times when, it, you know, family environment, uh, knowing I had to go to a family engagement would be that stressor. And, and 
you know, whatever the, the trigger is, talking through it and having a plan, like, I know when, you know, this relative comes by and makes this wisecrack about this always driving me nuts. <laughs> having that conversation, like, what am I going to do when that happens? Instead of... <laughs> Instead of just letting that experience happen, I think helps a lot too. And then I'd finally say, you know, since my dad is a mental health professional, don't ever be afraid to reach out. And right now, there's so many options online, like with the telehealth, where you can, you don't have to have somebody you're sitting, you know, across the couch from. It can yeah. be, it can be completely online, and it can be in many forms. It can be just talking to a friend. I mean, I just the thing I worry about the most with with all of the people in my life is the isolating uh, nature of what we're going through. So, and we have as a team gotten together and had conversations. What are you doing right now? Now that things are more stressful and, you know, some of us have had people who've, uh, you know, family members impacted by COVID who, you know, got sick or, um, you know, work in high stress situations, but we all have to look at each other and be just a little more compassionate. I think right now. Well, Portia, I really enjoyed this conversation. I probably enjoy every conversation with you, and it's been too long since I talked to you last, so I appreciate your making the time for this. Happy to. It was fun, and thanks for uh, – I promise I will not tell myself a story about our conversation. <laughs> Don't give yourself a negative story. I promise all the feedback is positive. Um, this was Portia, and she is a journalist. And uh, maybe she's wrestled with her anxiety in the past, but I would say now her anxiety is – a, a positive that she has learned to harness being driven as her mother would say. Thank you. 